Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. All right, welcome back, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining me today. It's a real pleasure to have you with me. Um, I have with me today uh, a very patient man, Todd Palmer. We've we've been trying to connect today. It's not easy sometimes, you know, when uh, technology doesn't work out. Uh, but Todd has graciously uh, agreed to join us today. He's an executive coach, keynote speaker, author, and CEO. And his key focus is helping entrepreneurs and small business owners and C-level leaders live a life by design. Now, Todd went from being a struggling entrepreneur with half a million plus in debt to making the Inc. 5000 a record total of six times as one of America's fastest growing companies. Uh, he's a CEO of Extraordinary Advisors, as I mentioned, and we're going to talk about uh, you know, how to deal with some of the things that are going on these days with COVID and uh, maybe uh, how to ditch your comfort zone a little bit on some of these issues. So, Todd, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Bill. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So, uh, Todd, tell us a little bit more about your background and your story about uh, going from deep in debt to to building one of the America's fastest growing companies. That's pretty fascinating. It takes a lot of ambition and, you know, kind of confidence in yourself. Well, it's interesting that you choose the word confidence, Bill, because that was something I really lacked at one point. Um, you know, I started my company, like most entrepreneurs, with little to, little to no startup capital. And 10 years in, you know, we had some highs and we had some lows. And uh, the company I owned was a diversified industrial staffing in Detroit, Michigan, the Metro Detroit community. And we were a temporary help company. And we were kind of like every, a lot of other temp companies at the time, um, just struggling to survive. A lot, very focused on the margin play, or very focused on, I'm sorry, on the revenue play, not the margin play. And I had a couple of clients stiff me in bankruptcy. They discharged over $240,000 in debt due to other choices and other mistakes that we made as an organization, I made as a leader. We got $600,000 in debt. I was two months away from running out of all of my money. So uh, using the word confidence, I was not having a whole lot of confidence during that time frame. Um, and I finally raised my hand, decided that my imposter syndrome, my itty bitty negative committee wasn't going to run my business anymore. wasn't going to run my life anymore. And I hired a coach. The coach came in, taught me some quick financial literacy, pointed out some of the holes in my ship, so to speak, that I was taking on water. I realized that I had the wrong team in place. I had allowed a lot of toxicity in my organization to permeate. And on September 9th of 2006, I fired my entire company and I started the business over. Uh, from there, we figured out some inflection points within our space, decided to go for some skilled trade sectors that were being underserved and underutilized, uh, increased our margins by about 10%, reduced our payment terms from clients from 120 days down to about 12 to 14 days, and eventually dug out of that debt and went on to make the Inc. 5000, again, as one of the fastest growing companies in America, six times. So pick up some confidence, thankfully. 
Um, but I, I had a lot of humility. I made a lot of mistakes, and I realized that I had a lot of stuckness, just like in COVID times where a lot of people were dealing with change and uncertainty. I was living with that way before COVID ever hit. Yeah, that, that's an amazing story, Todd. It really is, and congratulations on, on coming back through that. I think there's a lot of people that listen to this show that are thinking, you know, I've been running the business as kind of a uh, my own personal pocketbook. Not, you know, typically a small business is not run to generate a lot of profits because that means paying a lot of taxes, right? And then we have uh, we have companies that say, okay, well, now I want to make my business attractive to a buyer or, or I want to monetize mm-hmm. my business. So I need to transition. Sure. But, but a lot of them have been doing what they've been doing for so long. They're in this habit of, of uh, just, you know, just getting by is okay. Cause you don't have to pay a bunch of taxes. And there comes a point, And I want to hear from you on this. There comes a point where you just say enough is enough. I need to, uh, I need to make a big change in what I'm doing. Where were you, when you made that decision, you were just about, you know, like you said, you're burning through your money, uh, and you made that decision that enough is enough. I'm going to I'm going to hire a coach, and I'm going to get out of this mess. How did you do that, though? How did you How did you take that step? Well, it's so much it was self exploration, self awareness. You know, I was from the generation of entrepreneurs in the mid '90s who we you know we thought we were told we believed that uh, we could, you know, it, a rugged individualist mindset. And we weren't into yet, we, you know, Tony Shea hadn't written his great book um, about the scaling of Zappos and how culture was important. So we had this rugged individualist attitude. Simon Sinek hadn't come out and talked about what, what was our purpose, what was our why. Um, I just had connected with a gentleman by the name of Vern Harnish and read his book, The Rockefeller Habits. That was a real pivotal point for me in seeing how other people had done it. There was, there was not a lot of knowledge out there in how to do it. So I thought the right way to do things was to do it alone. I thought I had to be the oracle. I thought that the only person who could do all this stuff was me, and I was flat out wrong. And I decided really to stop building more of a a lifestyle business or stop building a job and really grow and scale a company so that I could feed my family. I was a single parent, and it was important for me to be able to to create a great life for my son and I. I I had, you know – as I rescaled and retooled the businesses, I had, you know, 12 to 18 families that I felt responsible for, for my employees. And I found honestly, and I think this may resonate with a lot of your listeners is I actually got better ideas from my staff. When I got out of the way, I, I figured out I had to speak last in the room, not first to solicit the best ideas because 12 people going in one direction was a whole lot more powerful than me going in one direction, pulling 11 people with me. So that that's a lot of change right there. That's a lot a lot of change from saying it's not just all about me. It's about it's about these families that I have to feed, and hey, they're on the this ride too. And there there is knowledge out there. There's a lot of knowledge. You mentioned the Rockefeller habits, and that led to, of course, uh, the uh, entrepreneur operating system and traction and all that kind of stuff. A lot of people are doing that. Uh, but uh, how how was that transition? I mean, uh, did you ever fall back to like you know what this 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 is new, doesn't feel comfortable. This is your comfort zone uh, speech, I guess, right? Getting out of that comfort zone. Oh, absolutely. And, and I did fall back. And it was, I had to make friends with failing and failing forward. I had to recognize that failure wasn't a final step. And every mistake I made, my coach was great at teaching me 
that every mistake I made was a learning opportunity. Every mistake I made was a pivot point, you know, and so we cre- he really focused me on being intentional, not expectational. So many of us, I specifically, was very much focused on win- a win-lose mindset. And so when I pivoted to an intentional position, more opportunities became clear to me. So my, you know, I'm $600,000 in debt and I, I, I'm running out of cash. He's like, we will find a way out of this. We just don't know how yet, but create the intention around that. Then when I created that intention of getting out of debt, I started putting in place different strategies that tied to that intention. Then my mindset shifted from, from a closed mindset to a growth mindset, and I saw a whole lot more possibilities. And my team then was able to make mistakes in the office without fear of being fired, without fear of repercussion. We would celebrate the mistakes. Hey, we tried these three things. One of them didn't work, but two of them did. Let's keep the two that worked. Let's start moving forward. You know, I just I have this client of mine I'm working with now. They 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 were so wrapped up in a a a mindset of I don't want to make mistakes. Well, the leader this leader re- replaced two of his key leaders. His revenue within the 12 months after that grew 70 percent. But the biggest thing for him was his profits grew 500 percent. He was able to add more people to his team. He's now doing less and enjoying the business more because he shifted his mindset and figured out he didn't need to be the oracle like I thought I had to be and have all the answers for all the people all the time. That's really great. That's, I think it's really important for people to hear stories like this, Todd, and I think it's really great that you get out there and do that. And, and of course, you're, you're a keynote speaker, and you, you, you're an executive coach, and you talk with people all the time about how they're feeling and dealing with this. What's the reaction you get from most people when you talk about, yeah, that you did this, or they say, yeah, you did that, but I just don't know if I can? Well, and, you know, that's so great you point that out because a lot of people will – We'll, we'll practice what I call the law of avoidance. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm an avid reader. And one of my favorite authors is a guy named Mark Manson. He talks about the law of avoidance. And we will talk about wanting to do things. We will talk about wanting to make changes. And we don't do that, even though those changes, whether it's changing our business or adding to our leadership team or maybe getting rid of an unproductive employee or even you know, losing weight, we don't do those things because our sense of self, even if it's a negative sense of self, is so rooted in who we are, we have to shake that up and get out of that paradigm. And it's often wrapped around, well, I will do it once I just get motivated. Well, the reality is, and the neuroscience will show, that we only get motivated once we take action. Even if we take the wrong action, taking an action will then create a motivation off of that. And, you know, I, I coach people around this, and I, I love working with my clients and getting them unstuck. But to be honest with you, I get stuck occasionally too. So I still use a coach and I bounce ideas off of him. And he's one of the world's literally, he's literally a brain surgeon. He's a neuroscientist MD who talks about how to get out of reactivity into creativity because that's where people in general get stuck, whether you're your parent or whether you're an entrepreneur. It happens to most of us. It's important to recognize that it's not if it happens, but when it happens. And there are tools out there and there are resources out there to get yourself unstuck so that you're able to get to ultimately that life by design that many of us are seeking. So I guess when you talk with him and, and he says it's not brain surgery, he really knows, huh? <laughs> he real? Oh my gosh. I love, that's so true. It's so funny. I remember seeing him speak and I, I'm in the audience and I raised my hand and said, he's talking about his theories and he's talking about his practices. And I'm like, Oh, come on. Really? That sounds you know too easy prove it because he was talking about in the lecture about how we don't have to necessarily go back to childhood to fix our problems. We can make changes quicker. And I'm like, 
you know, being a, you know, being in therapy as I have been through the course of my life on and off, I'm, I was a doubting Thomas. And he showed this video about how he could ask you questions uh, under, and you're in an MRI machine and your brain's going to fire differently. Then he showed the video of him asking questions, the brain firing differently, and people coming out with, with changes that could be implemented right now where we can start talking to ourselves differently. We can start talking to others differently. We can start talking about, again, intentionality versus expectation. Now, approaching things with you know, tools like massive curiosity, whether I, I'm doing a speech next, next month in Mexico uh, virtually, and they're having me come and talk about how we can take this entrepreneurial mindset, apply it to parenting, because entrepreneurs have such a strong, a high rate of divorce and dysfunction within their family. So these tools about how to think differently and how to approach things in a different way versus a traditional way are going to, I think, especially coming out of these COVID times, are going to have a ripple effect around the world, both, again, in the entrepreneurial's business, but also in the entrepreneur's family. Yeah, that's a very good point. A lot of times uh, attitudes get, of course, taken home and um... – you know, if if you're positive at work, then you you likely be positive at home. So what I hear you say is that you know there's a big difference between I'll believe it when I see it, and I'll see it when I believe it. Well, for sure. And part of it is having you know it's like the Stockdale paradox that Jim Collins talks about in his landmark book Good to Great. Deal with your brutal reality, and have faith that you will survive it, and and allow yourself the creativity to try several different things in order to survive it, to get out of it. And, you know, during these tough times, it's amazing how many entrepreneurs are so wrapped up and looking for the one, right, the one quote unquote right answer, the, the only way to do things. And, you know, they say, well, you know, what's the magic potion? What's the silver bullet? And so much of it is put, literally putting one step, one foot in front of the other, trying something today, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, communicating that to your team, communicating that to your staff, leaning into, not away from, uncomfortable conversations with employees, with vendors, with, with, with family about where your business stands, where you'd like it to be, where are the opportunities within the tragedy and how you can move towards those, and being okay with trying something and having it at work and learning from those, those steps. Because really, and this is what my coach, his name is Danny Friedland, talks about constantly is failure really is, is a non sequitur. It really doesn't exist because if you try something and you learn from it and then you apply what you learned and you continue on that path, then you, then you never ultimately will fail because you're constantly learning, constantly growing and constantly progressing. Excellent. Well, your enthusiasm is contagious. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about that. Let's, let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your book, The Job Search Process. There's a lot of people that are uh, in, in transition out of work maybe and, and thinking about how they're going to get back into uh, a, a good productive job. Maybe it's a good time for a change for a lot of people. What can you tell us about uh, how to deal with the uh, COVID-19 and, and, uh, and moving forward from where you might be if you're, if you're looking for a new job or if you're unemployed or you're, you're just searching? For sure. And I, and I think there are people that are unemployed who, who are, you could really benefit from a, a career change because there are companies that are hiring. A lot of companies mm-hmm. are hiring. But the, the hidden part about it is 85% of available open jobs are never posted or listed anywhere. I was a recruiter for nearly half of my life, and we knew that there were companies that would tell you publicly that they're not hiring, but if you sent them the right candidate, 
for the right open position or you send them the right candidate who could be a revenue generator, they would actually talk to them. They would add them to the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, we turned our business around during the recession. We made the Inc. 5000 every year during the recession as a growing company in the manufacturing sector with 13% unemployment at one point. So there are jobs out there, and I would tell anybody seeking a job is, first thing is network the heck out of that thing. Tell everybody you know that you're looking for a job. Tell them what makes you a great employee. Why, why should somebody talk? And then recognize that there's a massive hidden job market that's not on, on Indeed, not on LinkedIn, even though Indeed and LinkedIn are great tools. I'm not saying don't use them. Use them plus create your own job search strategy like I talk about in the book of going out and figuring out what companies do you want to work for? How can you market yourself to them? What should your, your resume look like when it comes to deliverables? And those deliverables should be um, data-driven. If you're in sales, how did you increase the sales in your territory? How did you improve the margins within your business if you're a COO? If you're a CFO, how did you increase not only margins but reduce costs? Put numbers to those because in today's world, that's what, the job, that's what hiring managers are looking for. Certainly go through HR. I'm not, I'm not anti-human resources. But in addition to that, go on LinkedIn. Figure out who's the person you'll be working for within that organization. Reach out to them. Send them your resume. Contact them on how you can be an added value to their team. And I guarantee you, like the book talks about, you can get a new job within six weeks or less. That's fantastic. And you know, when you say that, I think about how many business owners I talk to that say, we're always looking for good people. We just don't, we're not necessarily actively or posting, you know, we're not putting that on the job search board anywhere. But yeah, if you know anybody that that's a good person, we'd love to talk to them. So I, I agree with what you're saying 100%. And it's, it's been that way forever. And it will be that, it's that way now. It's like, I, I'm so, I was blown away by a client of mine. They've added seven people what uh, over the last was it eight to ten weeks they're they're in hiring mode because there are there's great talent on the street and they want to snap them up now before they return back to their former employer and they're recruiting them and they're bringing them in and they're they're courting them almost like they're dating they, they call it like their dating process and they've been able to add some key players that were employed back in january mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so w- when you um in your your book, the job search process, of course, you you outline all of these steps, and it's it's something that you know everybody can get a hold of and and read and learn from. But when when you're talking to um, on the employer side, um, do you uh, do you actively now act as kind of a matchmaker for them and say we 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 know a lot of great people? How how do you interact in this, or or is your role now um, you're you're an executive coaching and speaking and thought leader? Uh, are you still actively in the employment business, I guess I should ask? No, I'm really not. I, I've been out of that, that active duty for about three years now. So what I, what I do is I, I often I, – I teach the employees when I, when I speak from stage or even on, on teleconferences or, or um, Zoom calls. I teach them how to go out and find the hidden job. What I teach the employers on the other side of it is how can you make yourself the incredibly attractive employer of choice? especially for hard-to-fill jobs. What do the, I, I, I kind of pull the curtain back for the employer and do this a lot for manufacturing companies because they still have sometimes a very fixed old-school mindset. And How can you attract a millennial? How can you attract your next generation of talent? What's going to make you that, that employer of choice? And there's so many things that they can do at little to no cost around culture, around 
you know, cost-effective training um, around treating, giving millennials a voice in the room but not a seat at the table. Millennials, for example, are looking for a couple of things. They want to have a voice in decisions. They want their, their opinions heard. They often recognize mm-hmm. and realize that they're not the final decision maker, but they want to be heard. They want freedom and flexibility. And now, specifically with, the, with COVID times, what they wanted eight to 12 months ago, which were you know, almost forbidden, oh, we're, we've got to see everybody. You've got to be working in the office. You've got to be putting in your 40 hours where I can physically see you. Well, that's changed. That's shifted. And, and if employers are, are willing to embrace those shifts and change, I mean, you know, my son's a great example. He's a CPA. He works in the Metro Detroit area for a company that is based out of Toronto with, with hubs in Detroit and Houston. And, and he only sees his, his teammates, his, his supervisors, his boss on teleconference. And he's doing a great job. He's putting his hours and he's adding value. And that company only had, we're going to hire the mindset of hiring people locally, either in Toronto or Houston, they wouldn't be going after their largest sector, which is the Detroit growth market. It's, and it's a huge uh, time of change as far as that's concerned, too, for a lot of employers. They, uh, because they're getting used to working with uh, employees virtually now, they can expand their reach to find good people all over the place. So it's important to, to be attractive. And on, on the other side of things, I, as you were talking, I was thinking it's also so important for employers to know how to keep their best talent because they could easily be picked off by by people looking for good talent. Now, it's a, a great time of change, a lot of opportunities, and I can tell by the way uh, you, you speak about this that you have a lot of passion about this and bringing great knowledge out. So you, uh, tell us what you're available for right now. Are you available for keynotes and, and speeches and uh, coaching gigs as well as uh, uh, just generally talking with uh, business owners one-on-one these days? That's primarily what I've been doing since COVID hit for, because it's crazy. I was going to be on six different stages across three different continents and then they all got shut down and I'm doing everything remotely now, which is actually really fascinating. I've, I've expanded my reach. I've spoken in Malaysia and Australia and Brazil and all across America and Canada. And it's such, such a, a true pleasure to watch people have light bulb moments and to get unstuck around their, their businesses around their hiring choices, et cetera. So, the best place for people to reach out to me is go to my website, extraordinaryadvisors.com. Send me an email, Todd at extraordinaryadvisors.com, and say you'd like to have about uh, thir- 30 minutes of my time. I'm happy to, um, to sit with you, talk through what your issues are, and help you create a plan. And typically that can be done again in 30 minutes, and no charge for that, and see if we're a good fit from there. Very fascinating, uh, great information. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today and uh, and share all of these great tips with our listeners. And uh, the the book, the job search process, is still out and available. I take it as it will be forever. Yeah, yeah. I just I, it's so funny. I get a uh, I checked in this morning. I just sold four this morning. It's 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 been really fun to watch the sales move around around graduation season. A lot of people give it as graduation gifts. And I've been telling you, you know, promoting it a little bit more because of the current times. And then my next book, uh, From Suck to Success, is coming out at the end of the year about the entrepreneurial journey. So look out for that as well. Todd Palmer, thanks so much. Really appreciate you coming on and and helping us out today. Uh, Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 